Just before we get into this podcast, just a quick note from Henry and I. We absolutely love hosting the Badminton Podcast, but whilst juggling full-time jobs and bearing the costs of the editing so that we can bring you higher quality episodes and regular episodes, we would love your support. And you can support us through our Patreon account where you can pledge just a little bit per month that's just going to help the Badminton Podcast keep running regularly and to keep serving your badminton needs. So, when you can, please log on to www.patreon.com slash the badminton podcast, no spaces, and pledge a small amount. It's just really going to help us to keep this podcast going. Thanks a lot. Brought to you from Melbourne, Australia, this is the Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players by badminton players where we talk badminton, celebrate local heroes, interview players from all walks of life, and push you to grow as a player and a person. Introducing your hosts, Jeff and Henry. Hello, everyone out there and in our badminton community, and for those that might have stumbled upon us. Welcome to the Badminton Podcast, proudly sponsored by Volantware. My name is Henry. And I'm Jeff. And we're the co-founders of Volantware, the brand that gives badminton players an alternative to unsightly conventional badminton wear so they can feel confident and stylish anywhere. We're also here to bring the badminton community together so that we can share the love of our sport with each other and the world. Check us out and shop at www.volantware.com. There are plenty of free resources on there that can actually help you with becoming a better badminton player as well. You can also follow us on our social media account via our social media handle, Volantware, V-O-L-A-N-T-W-E-A-R. Today, we have another professional international player on the podcast. His name is Kestutis Navicus. The expression, more than an athlete, can explain a lot of things. In more than an athlete, there are a couple things. You need to work very hard after you finish, actually. People who are professional like athletes who think, okay, I need to work hard and after I finish, I will do anything. That's not really like that because a couple of years after, you really need to work hard to make yourself professional in a different job. That's what I've been doing since I am finished. I worked really hard to become a better coach, a better leader, a better manager. Go for it. Go for it 100% you don't go 100%, then uh, after your career, it's not so nice to say that, okay, I tried, but not all the way. So go for it and uh, don't be afraid what's going to be after. Kestutis. Hello, guys. Hey, Kestus. Hey, Kestus. I've never called you Kestutis before. It's actually hard for me to say because I never say it that way. Yeah, there is always a first time for everything. <laughs> and you're saying that you have a different name in every country. What else do they call you out there? Castec, Castos, Castutis, Castlitis, whatever. Castlitis. Uh, yeah, well, it's lit up. <laughs> yeah, so first of all, I wanted to say thank you very much for inviting me here. It's a real pleasure here. I'm really excited to connect with your part of the world. Australia sounds like very far away, but it's really nice to connect with that part of the world. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks yeah. so much for being on. For everyone listening out there, Kestis Navikas, he was a professional men's singles badminton player on the international circuit for 13 years, and he was a Lithuanian national champion 12 times. 
He's a former Olympian, multiple participant in the world and European championships, and he was previously the world number 37 in his discipline of men's singles. He's really passionate about badminton, both when he was a player and now as a coach. And he's always been really curious to actually get the better of himself. So basically learn about himself and push his own limits. So once again, Kestis, thanks for being on the podcast. It's been, look, I saw you in no, last year at the World mm-hmm. Championships in Basel, Switzerland, and you were coaching there and I was coaching there, but I have, probably haven't seen you for about 10 years or more actually about 11 years since I'd seen you. And we first met on the international circuit back in 2007, I think it was, when we were trying to qualify. We were going for the Beijing Olympics in 2008. So it's really nice to see you again. Yeah, long time. (laughs) Now, so let's just get right into it. Um, You've been a badminton player for a very long time and now you're coaching, but we always like to get down to what started everything, how you got into badminton and especially being from Lithuania, I'm not really aware of the badminton scene in Lithuania and how many players there were and how many players there were when you started. And I dare I say you were probably someone that really helped build the sport because of your international presence and the way that you conduct yourself and your performance and your results. So how did it all start and how did you fall in love with this sport called badminton? You know, when you are eight years old, you don't really think much what you want to do in life, right? A friend of my father was a badminton coach. I went there. I started when I was eight. And then uh, slowly, I uh, I liked the people. I liked the friends. I enjoyed the sport. Year after year, I found out that I have some talent because the results were coming. I started uh, traveling step by step. And uh, suddenly, the, you are a teenager and there is no way back. <laughs> I'm from a yeah, I'm from a very sporty family. My father was a 800 meters runner, and my brother, a twin brother, used to be a professional basketball player. So we were a very sporty family. So uh, then I started um, practicing more and more. The results uh, started like coming, and of course, uh, badminton is a, used to be even smaller sport in Lithuania. But somehow uh, my first coach was trying very hard and I was trying like very hard. And then I came into this international uh, stage. I got a feeling of that and then I got addicted, I guess. And then I just pushed forward when I was 19. I left from Lithuania and since that time, basically I was in an international stage uh, practicing all over the world with different coaches in a different environments and uh, stuff like that. And yeah and it really developed into a professional sport with all the best and worst things of the professional sport. Mm-hmm. Sure thing. And when you decided to move out from Lithuania and you decided to go international and professional, you said you're about 18 or 19 years old, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. where did you go? I took my old car. I was 19. I just passed my driving license like two weeks ago. I took my car and I drove to Germany oh, wow. to the yeah to like one of the clubs. And there uh, I went to the club. I was never really a big fan of practicing in the clubs, but I needed to start somewhere. You know, in the clubs, some players are social, some are professional. So it's not fully, fully professional like setup. And I was always a big fan of the difference of a system and a fully professional setup. So I started in the club until I got into Saarbrück and Wall Training Center after maybe one and a half or two years. And that's where 
really, really my career started in uh, Germany, in Saarbrücken, in the World Training Center. Hmm. Yeah, and so, ju- sorry, just for Australians <laughs> here, sorry, sorry to Henry to cut you off. The fact that you were 19 and could just drive to a different country is just so foreign to us because if we drive off our borders <laughs> when we were 19, we'll be in the sea. So <laughs> yeah, just the fact that you can drive to Germany, is, it's just crazy. But Henry, go for it. Sorry. No, no, that's all right. I was just going to ask, what was it like being a player in Saarbrück in Germany at the BWF training center? What was that like for you? At that time, the way I felt, it was a gate for me and a really chance that I needed. And then I really took that chance, I think, in the best possible way because I tried very, very hard. And then I I was just on a mission to become a better badminton player. And the setup was absolutely perfect for that, which I always dreamt of. At that time, you know, you are a young guy who really, really wants to be a better badminton player but at the same time now when i look back actually when i uh, i just had a work like next to the sea now and really just thinking a little bit more about it it was also being with the different cultures we had like i don't know how many different cultures maybe 20 different players from a different countries and uh, coaches also were from uh, two from asia one from europe so all this mixture of the cultures and the uh, different philosophies both from the players and the coaches really shaped my personality and uh, as a player as well at that time i think it was Really, really solid setup, uh, really professional uh, way of doing things. And that's exactly what I needed to step into another level. Yeah, sure. And I know that when I started on the international circuit, which was about 2006, and a lot of people had been to the, that was called IBF then, right? IBF training centers or the training camps. And I always felt that you guys always had this such a good relationship with each other. There's like a team about you, even though you were all from different countries all around the world, Mm. you went through hell together in the trainings. And I heard about the trainings you were doing, Henry, they were doing, I think, beep tests, like fitness testing every couple of weeks and things like that. They would trained very, very hard. And just when I saw you guys communicating and I was lucky enough to be part of that because my friend and my teammate Stuart Gomez was part of that. So he introduced me to you guys. But I I remember um, Raul Must, yourself, Raju Rai, and then there was Kevin Cordon and there's Yuhan Tan and so many different players. And you all were such a close-knit group of people. And I really envied you guys that you had that. But Kestis, for the people who don't know about the IBF or the BWF training camps back then, could you explain what they involved and how they started? When did they start? Were you in the first batch or the second batch? How did you get in and what happened to that program over time? And is it still happening now? Hmm. Yeah. The things that uh, you just mentioned, all those uh, like special relationships. Yes, that was unique. And I think that also helped for all of us to get better. But how it started, uh, that started from the short camps, uh, like pre-selection camps with, uh, I don't know, 10 to 15 players, maybe. And then uh, I was uh, in that very first one. So I was lucky to get into the very first one. And then from these pre-selection camps, they selected the players to the main camp, which lasted for two and a half years. So I was also selected in that camp, in the pre-selection camps, we really fought for the places. So when I think back, we really 
fought to get into that main camp for two and a half years. And then the people from all around the world and from the, those pre-selection camps were selected to the main camp, which lasted, as I said, for two and a half years before Beijing. And yeah, that was the structure. I, f- I still think it was a very unique project, which helped for a lot of countries to get better. The players that you mentioned, I think that all of those players they lifted the level of themselves, but also they lifted the level of the whole uh, badminton in their countries, their culture of badminton, their publicity. I think that made a huge impact in each of the countries that you mentioned, or each of the countries that the players came from. I think that's also very, very important uh, part of uh, that kind of center. Uh, then after Beijing, it uh, lasted for a couple more years, but somehow that never got uh, into the same impact as we had before because of the different reasons. So that's probably more political reasons and then it slowly died. And uh, now actually, uh, Badminton Europe have created the center of excellence. So the same kind of concept as the World Training Center, but here more for the European players. And when I heard that they are creating that, I was so excited actually to be a, a part of that. And when they asked me to become a coach, I felt, yeah, that the history is coming back to me. I started a real professional career in a world training center, like as a player. And now I have started it uh, here as a coach in Denmark, in the European training center. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't agree more with what you said before in terms of the camp having players that they were coming from countries that badminton wasn't as popular, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden they've grown the popularity in their sport because they've been able to reach higher level on the world stage. And Henry and I speak about this a lot and all the listeners on the podcast will probably hear us say this, that men's singles, I'm just going to use men's singles as an example, but men's singles is such a competitive event. And dare I say that initially before this camp, I felt that there was not as many good players coming out from all the different countries. And I feel that when this IBF or BWF training center came to life back when you started, it all of a sudden brought a great player from all the different countries that you wouldn't normally see it from. And I think that that has just elevated the whole level of the world badminton in men's singles, especially that because the reason I'm saying men's singles is because I felt it. You could go and then you could, basically see that so many of these countries that don't really develop these players all of a sudden had these really good players. Like, for example, yourself, but when I remember seeing Kevin Cordon play against Bao Chun Lai and Guatemala. So how many good players come, come from Guatemala? And he was amazing. He was an amazing player. They had a huge smash. And I don't think someone like him could have developed as well if they didn't have this camp. Yeah. Do you think, do you think the same? Yes, absolutely. So uh, basically what you are saying, actually, yeah, that whole group and bunch of players, they made the tournaments uh, stronger. So like uh, yeah. where before you could imagine that the first round in international challenge, maybe you have an easier draw and stuff like that. But then when all of uh, those players came, then uh, the first rounds became more uh, difficult, mm-hmm. right? And uh, yeah. Absolutely. As you say, uh, Sometimes I used to go, like when we were going to the world championships, you see a player from Estonia, you see a player from Guatemala, 
like even the, from Zambia or Uganda, right? Yeah, Uganda. Where yeah, yeah. Yeah. you you have never heard about uh, these countries before in badminton, and suddenly there come people who can actually play a very good badminton. So I think uh, really big impact of World Training Center at that time uh, for the level of badminton, but also for growing badminton in their own countries, including like Lithuania. Yeah. Yes. Same thing. So for the training camp that you had in Saarbrücken, Saarbrücken, however you say it, in Germany, what was the training program like for you? And are you doing a similar program for the Center of Excellence, the European training camp? Are you doing a similar kind of program as you had back then? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, that was my first uh, step in a real professional setup. So definitely that made a very big impact for my personality and for my playing profile. And uh, my head coach was Henry Krona from Sweden, who later in his coaching career, he was a national coach for women's singles in Denmark for five years which shows how good he was, uh, you know, and he still is. And he made a big impact in my professional career, right? So I definitely use some of the things what we used to do there. But after that, I had a lot of different experiences in a different setups, different systems with the national teams of different countries. So I added on what we were doing I added on with the later experiences plus my own philosophy and that's what I'm doing as a coach now. I'm constantly trying to take the best things from each setup that I experienced. Yeah, that's really cool. And I'm really envious just hearing about that sort of ecosystem that was created at this BWF training center in Saarbrücken and hopefully that's the kind of ecosystem that you're creating at the European training center at the moment. And just for... I guess the audience and for myself, I don't think I'm going to be you know, playing professional badminton anytime soon. But if I were to want to be a part of your European training center, the center of excellence, what is the selection criteria? Basically, the criteria is that you should be a top three in your own country. We started when we started like two and a half years ago. We didn't really follow that criteria like 100% because we needed to start somewhere. Mm. But now we became a very strong training center where we have actually 11 players from 150 like in the world. Oh, wow. So we really became a solid, very solid center. So now if you want to come to the center, you have to have a decent level, you know. Uh, so uh, we have a uh, different criteria. So there is like top 100. Then you you can come if you are top two in your own country or top three in juniors. You know, so we have a uh, different stages. And we also, yeah, as I said, we have 10 players from 150 like in the world. But we also have some juniors who are very promising and is the future for Europe or the world as well. So that's a little bit about the structure in the center. So where is the training based at the moment? We are in Holbeck, uh, just 45 minutes from Copenhagen in Denmark. We are based now in a sports boon, one of the biggest sports centers in Scandinavia, brand new. So it's really, really good conditions with uh, eight badminton courts, brand new, the gym, two floors, testing system, physios. uh, We are constantly improving for more and more high performance training centers. And is it something that was funded by Badminton Europe? So is this a Badminton Europe initiative or is there BWF as well on top of that? 
you know, it's a political thing. So it is an yeah. initiative of badminton Europe, but uh, but BWF is also, uh, of course, connected to that. And they also fund the continental scholarships where uh, some uh, Australian players like mm. Jacob came, yep. like yep. Uh, like Louisa, mm-hmm. uh, Sally Fu from New Zealand. New Zealand. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like Avinav Manota. Yes. Uh, so these kind of players that are closer to your world, uh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they've been in our center, by the way, if they are listening, uh, I send them best regards because their working ethic, actually, Australians and uh, and New Zealanders really have an amazing working ethic. So I really enjoyed working with them. Also, when I was a player, I had the connection and had a chance to practice with uh, Stuart Gomez, as Jeff uh, like mentioned. So yeah. And Jeff as well, of course, uh, really good working ethic. So I enjoy working with them. Great. Great. And is the camp only for singles? Yes. Only men's and ladies singles, yeah? Only singles. Men's and ladies singles, yeah. And uh, we had a different ideas to uh, if we should start uh, doubles and stuff like that. But in the end, we came to the agreement and to the vision that it will be for now only the single center because sure. it's uh, a bit easier to to collect all the players to one place, you know. Mm. Uh, of course, uh, in doubles, you need two people to come. <laughs> so yeah, there might be uh, two different agendas with, uh, I don't know, studies or family life and social life and stuff like that. So it's much harder for two people to come to one place than one. And last question on my side about the center for excellence there that you have. How many coaches are there and how do you fit in the coaching team? Yeah, uh, so uh, we are four coaches at the moment. There is a head coach, Jeroen van Dijk, who used to be in Germany for eight years, I think, as a singles coach. Then uh, there are two part-time coaches. It's, uh, it's Judith Merlandijks and Peter Jensen from Denmark, and Judith is from Holland. And me, I'm a, f- a full-time coach, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, Jeroen van Dijk is a head coach. He also covers quite a bit of management. So uh, I really have a lot of responsibilities on court from day one, creating the whole the culture, running the practices. I'm also a head coach for... Uh, 11 players, really detailed guidance daily and stuff like that. So it's Jeroen and me and two part-time coaches, Peter Jensen and Judith Nolan. I also feel we all have different strengths. We are using a different strength of each of the coach in the best possible way. We can always be better, but I feel that each of the coach maximizes the potential and the strengths what we have in uh, different areas. So I feel we are working very nicely together and we have a good efficiency there. Yeah, it's great that you can harness all the different perspectives um, from the different coaches and just, uh, I guess, tap into the expertise or specializations that um, the other coaches that are around you have as well as your own expertise and yeah. experiences mm-hmm. as a player. Yeah, it's, yes, it also helps to grow me as a coach because I can also learn from a different uh, like coaches from the whole team but uh, at the same time i really feel that i'm fully expressing myself because from day one i have uh, a lot of responsibilities uh, being in the hall there every day and yeah yeah 
But I do want to talk about the transition that you've had from professional badminton of 13 years and to going to the other side and becoming a coach. I mean, how has that been for you? Yeah, I think uh, I would like to touch this uh, topic a little bit wider. You know, uh, I think for every athlete and uh, like now, uh, the recent couple of years, uh, there were a lot of discussions and sometimes even all that concern from the professional athletes uh, how to best integrate into the normal life after your professional career. And that's not only in badminton, that's overall. And there were a lot of discussions that top athletes, they are really lost after they finish their careers. And uh, I was preparing for that for a couple of years before I uh, was planning to stop. Yeah, I was uh, preparing for that. And I also people who are listening, who are in a similar stage, I would like to encourage uh, like people to invest uh, not only in their sports career, which can be a little bit challenging because if you are in a high performance, you really need to invest a lot of time and energy into your sport, but also invest into a, to be more than an athlete. You know, I was preparing myself with the different social projects, with the charity tournaments, uh, with some uh, training camps that I was doing, with some fashion that I, yeah, like, as I say, fashion is my passion. So I was doing a little bit like on the side to create my personality, to create my public personality, uh, and also to have a different skills in life that I could use like after I finish my professional sports, right? So in my case, it was a very smooth transition. But uh, the, the reason of that, because I was really preparing myself for a couple of years before I was finished. And then, uh, of course, you need to work very hard after you finish, actually. People who are professional like athletes who think, okay, I need to work hard and after I finish, I will do anything. <laughs> That's not really like that because a couple of years after, you really need to work hard to make yourself professional in a different job. That's what I've been doing since I am finished. I worked really hard to become a better coach, a better leader, a better manager. So for someone who has these challenges in front of them and they do need to make this transition from athlete life to professional life or working life or life after badminton, is there anything that you'd recommend that you did specifically that could really help them? So first of all, I, I guess the first step will be to being able to let go. I'm not sure if you had a difficulty with that at Orchestus, but I think a lot of sports people and athletes who have been playing at such a high level, they have a difficulty letting go of what they've had because they often tie their identity and who they are as the athlete. And all of a sudden when they stop playing, they say, oh, I'm no longer this person. Who am I? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they lose who they are. So did you experience that? And did you have any other things that someone can do to help them get the ball rolling so that they can start looking at things outside of their sport or even if it's within their sport, a progression from being an athlete? You know, probably the expression more than an athlete can explain a lot of things. In more than an athlete, there are a couple things. First thing that you need to be a personality. The second of all, you need to you know, have a a couple more interests maybe than just the sports, mm -hmm. uh, which makes you to really create your personality. And when you 
create the personality, when you create a different skills in life, then you are not really dependent like only on the sports personality, right? So the way I did it, I created the charity tournament, which uh, became very, very big here in Lithuania, which has a big meaning for me, right? So I have a meaning not only playing badminton, but I have a meaning to uh, give something through my badminton personality. Then the, the second thing, I was always interested in fashion. Then, uh, like, for example, a friend of mine who is very known, like, a suits designer here in Lithuania, we created a fashion collection, which was called uh, Sports Plus the Elegance. And we uh, presented that in a, uh, like, Lithuanian men fashion week. So all of those uh, small things, they create your personality, which uh, helps you like, after your uh, sports life. This also helps you not to be only dependent on your sports profile, but also creates a different kind of opportunities to choose a different kind of direction. Sure. And with the fashion label that you did with your friend, are you still doing that at all? No, really. You know, it was a very nice project. I also expressed myself in that way. I used to have, you know... uh, an accessories brand and then we created that collection and stuff like that so uh, all of these things actually helps you to get the publicity right for us for the badminton players in such a small countries like lithuania i believe australia the same and many other countries where badminton is not the most famous sport we need to get the publicity and it's not always easy to create the results like every week that you are in the position uh, in the newspapers and the TV and stuff like that. So you have to think a bit wider how you want to get the publicity. The publicity will help you to get the sponsors. When you get the sponsors, you have a better financial like situation, which helps you to create a better setup for yourself, for your sports, right? So that's the whole chain of uh, things, how you get the publicity and those things helps you. And uh, I'm not doing that anymore. It was a great experience to be uh, like involved in this fashion business, but that helped me at that time to like attract some attention. And also I express myself, which is very important for my personality. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like we need to have you on uh, the Volant Wear team um, <laughs> in, our, in our fashion, in our fashion <laughs> department. Um, How is it going, by the way? Just uh, yeah, just let me ask one question. How is it going with your brand? Because I'm very curious. I strongly support that idea, and I really think that we need to get more fashion into uh, badminton kits. How is it going? If like, if you could answer me shortly. We always set out with that vision, exactly what you said. We wanted to make badminton more popular sport, more celebrated sport. And we wanted to make it look better because I'm not sure about you, Kestis, but when I was training, even though I had all of my Australian gear on and the name on the back and the big bright colors, I never wore that to the gym or I never wanted to wear that out when I was running outside of the badminton court. And so that was the main pain that we came up with and why we started. But the whole idea behind it wasn't just about that. It was about trying to build the sport. And when you ask us how it's going, I would say it's going well. We're living what we want to live. We're bringing what we want to bring. The 
trickiest part is, as you'd probably know, is being in Australia where badminton is not such a high profile sport. Yeah. It is hard to get and break into the the very few people who play for one mm-hmm. and two, to make them understand what we're doing and help them to realize that, hey, this is what we're doing and this is a reason to choose to wear our things rather than your Yonex and Leaning and Victor, the ones that are dominating the market. So if you say from a how Henry and I are going, we love it. We absolutely love it. We love being on this podcast. And we actually had um, Lo Kian Yu on from Singapore. And he said, hey guys, do you guys make any money from these podcasts? And Henry said, we lose money on these podcasts, which is true <laughs> because, we, because we have people help us to edit it. And, yeah. and we just say, that's a funny question because we don't make any money from the podcast. So if anyone's listening who wants to sponsor us, more than happy. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. But <laughs> it is just about having these chats with you, loving the sport and the business in itself, although monetarily we still have to do our full-time jobs to support it and pay for it, yeah. um, we're hoping that we're going to build it to a stage where we can do it full-time and we can just live badminton because we love we love badminton. And Kestis, if you have some awesome expressions and design ideas and you want to be a part of it, then more than happy to have you on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we can uh, we can do that a little bit after the well, podcast, of course, at some point. But yeah, first I wanted to like thank you. Now I have an opportunity that, of course, you know, uh, we need a badminton podcast. I'm listening to the podcast like almost every day in the different areas, uh, the psychological area, the team management, the group management, uh, different kind of podcasts. But badminton specific, it's very, very nice to listen to uh, people who really knows badminton, who understands badminton. So what I'm trying to say, we need more specific knowledge to share, Mm. which would make also, I think, badminton like stronger. And coming back to uh, the fashion, uh, continue that. My small advice would be continue that with the badminton connection, but look at it a little bit wider that that other people who don't play badminton could also wear that. Yeah. 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 So my fashion idea was always that if you go to do sports with the fashionable clothes, you feel very fashionable and you feel good. And if you need to, with the same clothes, you could also go to have a coffee and stuff like that. And you would feel also cool uh, like having that. So Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That That is exactly what we're about. Please continue that. And I'm sure you will be successful. You couldn't have said it better than us. I think you did <laughs> say, it, say it better than us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, look, lots of wise wisdom from you, Kestis. And the the fact that you were able to think about your career pathway after you finished as an athlete and you've been able to work hard on that so that you've got a good path and a good road to go down now and you're in a really good spot. In terms of the players that you're coaching now, is that part of what you're talking to them about? Or when you're at the Center for Excellence in Denmark there, is it just mainly about badminton? Here, you know, I would like to guide them in life even more than I'm doing. The reason why I sometimes, I really miss time because as I mentioned, we have 22 permanent players. Plus there are the continental scholarship, like players who are coming from all around the world. And this really requires a lot of energy, a lot of physical and mental energy to guide the players, to motivate them and lead them. For me, that's very important to lead the whole group and that costs energy to be honest. So 
I really have a vision that, yes, I would like to guide my players and be a little bit more as a mentor in the life skills and life management. But at some point, I'm really missing the time for that. And of course, with some of the players, we have a different players, as I said. We have like Felix Burstedt, who is now 57 in the world. And we also have players in top 200 and top 100. So what I'm trying to say for each of this player, you need to find a way how to really communicate. With some of them, you need to be a little bit more direct and much more specific with badminton. With some of them, you need to talk totally about the different things than badminton because these things might help him to become a better badminton player. So at different ages, at different levels, and you, I'm trying to find the best way how to talk to them. Is it more badminton specific or more life management to make them a better badminton players? That's good. I'm glad that you're taking a more holistic and individual sort of specific perspective on those relationships with your players. And I'm sure I can imagine that because of the current time that we're in where you've been having some, I guess, potentially difficult conversations with some of the players because of the postponement of the 2020 Olympics to July 2021. How have your players actually taken it? And how have you been able to help them during this difficult time? My vision is uh, very simple, you know. We got one more year to get better and perform better in our Olympic Games. That's the vision that I uh, talk with my players about. And it's not enough just to qualify to the Olympic Games. It's uh, different things again. For some of the players, that they're very happy to qualify. And with some of the players, of course, I would like to aim for uh, wins, winning the matching, uh, the matches in Olympic Games, I think that's the real thing. So my vision is we got one more year to be better badminton players and develop. So this would help us to play better in Olympic Games. And then the second thing is planning. So now it's uh, all about the coaches planning how we're going to plan and come back like in the best way from this kind of situation. So uh, those two things are, sounds like simple. The third thing is a little bit more complicated. You need the player to feel the same way. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to tell him that he needs to feel that. Mm-hmm. And this requires a time. This requires guidance and a very good understanding the player and coach. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, and that's my main job now to, um, that they feel what I feel basically. Yeah. 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 That, that's so important because yes, you can plan and yes, you can from your side think, look, one more year to prepare for Olympic games. That's perfect. We can get this much better, but for the people who have set their dates and their eyes and their goals on that particular date, and to go through another year of hard training, especially, I'm not sure if anyone falls in this category, but especially someone who may be deciding that they want to finish after the Olympics or they want to slow down or they want to have a family or they want to study or they want to go to work. And all of a sudden they have to go on for another year. I'm not saying that's bad, but it might just throw the plan out for them a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to try to get them back, but then how would you manage that? Is there a way that you're doing that? Is that a situation you're in at the moment? Yes, absolutely. We have a totally different players. You know, some of them were about to stop like after Olympic Games. And some of them are really fighting to get into 
Olympic Games. We don't know how the qualification is going to be. So we have a totally, really different cases. Yeah, And as uh, Henry said, you really need an individual approach to each of the player. Yes, and the situation. But in relation to like how I'm dealing with that, same thing what we talked about like previously. Find something where you can get better at this point now. So if someone wants to be a coach after he finishes his career, that's a perfect time to get better and try to look for the skills that you need when you're going to be a coach. If someone wants to create his or her own business, that's a perfect time to do preparation for that. And there are so many things, you know, like the structure, the funding, the trying to find the location, trying to find the people target and stuff like that. So basically we come back to the same thing that you need to be more than an athlete. And this time is absolutely perfect to invest into your after career. Yeah, completely agree that that it's such a fresh perspective and way to look at it. And me personally, because I'm doing some badminton coaching, but I'm not sure if you know, Kestis, I'm actually helping people who own businesses, who own dental practices, because I'm a dentist by trade, to help them in their practices and implement systems and manage cash flow, etc. It's a bit like business coaching. Mm. And at this stage where a lot of the dental practices are having to shut down or do very minimal work, so the cash flow is very low, it is about trying to get them to realize that, hey, this is the time to do things that you never thought you had time for. Because when you get stuck in the the thick of business and you're putting out fires and doing all that, then it's impossible to do some of these tasks. But now we can actually have some downtime. Even though we didn't choose it, we may as well make the best of it and do the things we knew we were meant to do that we didn't have time for previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's exactly, you know, it's not as easy. That's the same thing, you know, uh, when you are a coach or a mentor, as you just mentioned, you know, it's not as easy. Now I'm talking to like 15 players from a different countries. Mm. Different countries have a different measures on the lockdown. Yep. Some of them can go to the hall and practice. Uh, yeah, like in Sweden where everything is totally normal. And some of them uh, really cannot go from the room. And then, uh, yeah, that's again, uh, you know, an individual approach, how you talk to the players and how you motivate them like in a current situation. Yeah, yeah, completely agree there. Awesome. Okay, Kester. So we've been talking a little bit about badminton and things outside badminton as well. So we're coming to the tail end of this podcast. So we're going to start wrapping up here. Now, for the listeners out there who don't understand or appreciate or haven't experienced what it's like to be a professional athlete, and you've been a professional athlete for so long, and now you are in a room with professional athletes every day and helping them manage their badminton and their lives. But from your experience as a player and as a coach over all of these years, are there any things that you've learned specifically as a professional athlete that you want to impart upon the audience? Yeah, uh, the time actually went really quickly. So <laughs> uh, we talked more than badminton. Actually, I can also talk a lot about badminton because I feel true passion for badminton. Professional career, uh, high performance sports, it's amazing, actually. I think it's uh, truly like amazing. It's very, very difficult at times, but it's amazing when you can say after your career, I've done everything I could 
I've done everything I could in my career. I'm happy with my career. I could have done more, but what I would like to inspire people, go for it. Go for it 100%. If you don't go 100%, then uh, like after your career, it's not so nice to say that, okay, I tried, but not all the way. So go for it and uh, don't be afraid what's going to be after. I promise you uh, during this road that you are doing, you will get a different kind of life skills which you can use after. Mm. So go for it, push your own limits, and this will sooner or later be evaluated and appreciated by people. Absolutely. Words of wisdom right there, everyone who's listening. So Kestis, if there are other people listening who want to potentially get in contact with you and ask you for more advice because you've got such a rich history in the sport and life experience as well. Is there a way that they can reach out to you or if they can pass a message on to us and we can pass a message on to you so that they can potentially ask you any questions they might have? Yes, of course. I'm on Instagram and on Facebook. So if you uh, write my name correctly, (laughs) then you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. uh, But uh, for this, I believe uh, people will need your guidance. Sure, sure. Okay, his correct spelling, I'll make sure his spelling is correctly written on the on the podcast title and the caption. Um so make sure you use that. <laughs> is there any yeah, other yeah, yeah. is there anyone that has a similar name to you in the world? Uh, just in Lithuania. Just in Lithuania. It's very Lithuanian uh, name. It's not really a worldwide name. So yeah, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, so feel free to write me. Thank you very much, actually, for inviting me once again. And I appreciate uh, that I can connect with the rest of the world and uh, all stay safe in those uh, uncertain times and find uh, the, the ways how to get better in these times as well. Thanks, Kestis. Absolutely. Kestis, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's all the best for everyone. <laughs> Now, for everyone listening out there, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Badminton Podcast. We had heaps of fun. It was so so good to talk to you again, Kestis. It's been a long time since we've had a, a really good chat. We didn't get a really long chat when we were at the World Championships last year, but it's been really nice to talk to you. And just the perspective that you bring on athlete life and life after being an athlete is just huge. And I think it's something that doesn't get spoken about much. And it is a serious thing that we need to consider as athletes. It definitely is because unfortunately, you can't be a professional player for your whole life and we need to have some sort of pathway after that. So guess just that is awesome knowledge and I'm so glad we're being able to speak about it on this podcast. So for all the listeners out there, if you've enjoyed this episode, if you think it's been useful, or if you just like Kestis because he's got a really cool name, um, make sure that you please share this podcast with your friends, your families, other players, clubs, associations, because I think there's a wealth of knowledge out there and we're going to continue to bring you wealth, lots of knowledge because we love the sport and we want to make sure that the badminton community is taken care of because we're part of it and we're all part of the same badminton family and we all, we love you. We, we love badminton and we love having people who love badminton around us as well. So make Make sure you get out there, keep playing as much as you possibly can. Train hard if you want to train hard. Have fun with your friends. Connect with everyone that you can and Kestis as well if you want to. And just keep showing the world how incredible our sport is because it is an amazing sport and I'm so glad that I'm part of it. 
Yes, absolutely. Well said, Jeff. And to all those professional athletes out there, first of all, if you're listening, thank you so much for listening. And secondly, yeah, definitely consider what Kestis has mentioned on this podcast episode to explore various interests outside of badminton as well, because there is a life outside of badminton. If badminton was life and badminton might be life for some of you out there, which is fantastic, I wish my life was just pure badminton. But there are other things out there as well. So make sure that you do explore those other interests as it could lead you somewhere after your badminton life. If you do want to connect with us, then you can connect with us via our social media channels on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and TikTok via our social media handle, V-O-L-A-N-T-W-E-A-R, Volantware. You can also find us on our website where you can shop for unique badminton clothes that make you feel stylish and proud on and off the court at www.volantware.com. Um, so feel free to reach out and ask questions, request topics. We're so excited to be able to connect with people like Kestis and other people as well. So please, we're always hoping to hear from any of you that might be listening. We will see you on the very next episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kestis. Thanks, Kestis. Thank you very much. See you, guys. Thank you. Awesome. See ya. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Volantware the most versatile badminton apparel you'll ever own.